You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Welcome to The Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in an hour or less. I'm Austin Staten, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Kevin Cook. And that song that you just heard to open the show was Hold On by Second Lovers. We'll have more from them later in the podcast, but be sure to check out their latest single on SoundCloud and iTunes. Now, Kevin, we're branching out a little bit on episode 19. We have two interviews scheduled, one with a Hollywood movie critic and another with an up-and-coming indie rock band. Oddly enough, they share a last name but have no relation. I guess from you, Kevin, how are things going? Things are going very well for me. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast yet, but I was approved to cover U of H in the Peach Bowl um, New Year's Eve. So that's kind of the biggest gig I've ever gotten as a reporter, and uh, I'm really enthused about that. So be sure to follow my coverage on yourhoustonnews.com. Um, but other than that, it's been kind of a slow week. Uh, certainly enjoyed both the interviews. Um, and I got to say, I've fallen in love with this band, Second Lovers. Um, their single, which you heard, I've been waking up to it for the past several mornings. I got it on iTunes. I've been uh, gifting it to friends and family, and it is a uh, definitely worth a listen so certainly go check that out uh, and and make them a part of your uh, life and your daily routine because they're really something yeah absolutely and uh, again we'll have Nick Morales who's the lead singer of the band on here shortly and uh, definitely enjoy the new song Uh, they play Thursday night in Houston so I'm going to definitely try to make it out and go see them play Uh, I think it's going to be a a fun concert and we'd encourage everyone uh, that listens to the podcast that is in the Houston area to go check them out Thursday night, December 17th at the Nightingale Room. And again, we'll have more from them a little bit later on the show. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, We Desserts. Be sure to check them out if you're in the Houston area at 3411 Kirby. Our listeners get 10% off of their purchase. So we definitely encourage you to go out and visit them and have some sweet, delicious treats. And I've been out there myself. They've been doing some remodeling. It's is uh, It's actually quite beautiful over there in their, uh, in their bakery. And I don't know if you guys have been paying attention uh, to food, uh, food trends, but beignets are are like the hot new thing, um, you know, in pastries. It's really what's popular. People want to photograph beignets. People want to eat beignets. And at We Desserts, you can do both. Uh, They're gorgeous and delicious, and they have beignets all day, Friday and Saturday. And again, Weekly Brew listeners get a 10% discount. You guys have been doing a great job of getting out there and supporting We Desserts. And, uh, you know, we hear about it every time a listener comes in and gets their 10% off. And uh, you guys are doing a great job. So, so keep going out there. Keep getting those beignets. Take beautiful pictures of them and uh, and upload them and share them with us. We'd love to, to hear from listeners that are getting out there to We Desserts. So uh, 3411 Kirby, Beignet Day, Friday and Saturday. And if you are on social media, that's a great segue, Kevin. Be sure to follow us. Search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using the keyword Weekly Brewcast. Uh, we've had interaction all week long uh, with our with our fans. We definitely want to have more. We definitely enjoy that conversation. And we'll get more into some user and listener feedback later on in the show. I think Kevin's going to be a little bit excited about that this week. But we've got a packed show on deck, and it's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew is Dave Morales of BackstageOL.com. Dave, thanks for taking the time out of your day and joining us on The Weekly Brew. And I guess before we get started, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Good talking with you guys. Thanks for having me tonight. I am uh, uh, from Houston, Texas, but my background is radio. I've actually been on the air in California, Los Angeles, San Francisco, worked in Dallas, here in Houston. And in fact, the big joke that I tell people is the only radio station I think I haven't been on is the one that gives you airport updates on traffic over at uh, <laughs> the Houston airport as a joke. Uh, but the, I, I segued into television. I'm actually on Fox 26. In Houston, where I do a segment called Backstage, uh, which is an entertainment uh, features segment 
but it, it's more movie related than anything. It started music, and now we've shifted over into uh, the movie, uh, you know, part of entertainment. Where I've now, uh, and then backstageyourwall.com is a news entertainment website based in Houston. We're in 22 markets across the country, and uh, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics uh, Association, the BFCA. We've got a Critics Choice Award coming up, and I'm also a member of the Houston Film Critics Society. I've been reviewing films now for quite some time. I guess officially credited within the last uh, four or five years or so. So I've been covering film for quite some time, and I'm also just a fan like you guys are. One of the films everyone's most interested in, one of the reasons that we want to talk to somebody, is that you know, this, this holiday season, uh, Star Wars, is, is probably going to be the biggest movie event that a lot of us are going to see, maybe ever. So, I mean, what's been different about covering this movie? I think you mentioned that you haven't seen uh, the film ahead of time, which is unusual, right? It is very unusual. Um, this is the first movie that I've actually covered. I, I fly around the world, actually, and talk to different casts from different movies. It's all part of advanced promotion, you know, that the studios uh, have going. But it also gives me a chance, as a critic, to get a perspective from the cast. Kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're talking to an artist about their painting, that's the kind of perspective that I take going into whenever I talk. You know, not all films kind of lend themselves to that. Obviously, if it's a silly Adam Sandler movie, you're not going <laughs> to go too deep <laughs> into that conversation. But... Yeah, in this particular film, the movie you're talking about, which I think is one of the biggest anticipated, you know, the movie's already made $50 million plus dollars in, in advanced sales. The thing hasn't even been shown to anybody. I think a few people have seen it, but I just shot the interviews in Los Angeles uh, a couple of days ago, and I did speak with the entire cast, which included Harrison Ford and, you know, a lot of the new cast uh, that's part of The uh, Force Awakens. But the interesting story is this is the first time I've ever covered a film where I didn't see the movie ahead of time. Normally we go in, we screen it, we talk to the cast the next day. Sometimes it'll be an hour later. That's happened on a couple of projects when they've had them stacked ahead of time. But Star Wars, this was a, it's a machine in itself. I was making the joke to some of my colleagues on the press in the press area. I said, well, what am, I should probably go in there and start asking questions about Star Trek. And then just kind of be the, yeah, yeah, but, um, which I didn't do. Uh, but, you know, yeah, this is the first time. But, you know, it, it's kind of like Star Wars. And, and now that I've completed the interviews, it really wasn't that difficult. That's, Star Wars is, is so such a mass appeal type story that you kind of have an idea. And I'm a huge fan, like you guys are probably, you know, are about, about the new Star Wars movie. That you, I just kind of went in with that perspective. Now, it also did help that I was in Los Angeles and we shot these. And I went to Disneyland a couple of days ahead of time. We are in Tomorrowland. They were showing featurettes, generic interviews, with uh, Kathleen Kennedy from Lucasfilm, Harrison Ford, some of the cast. So I, my producer and I were sitting there at Disneyland and taking notes off of the featurette that they were playing in Tomorrowland. I looked at him, and I'm like, you know, these are some of the questions I think I should use uh, Saturday. So it was just a, it was a very interesting, you know, junket. The, uh, they did, we didn't know where we were going until about 36 hours ahead of time. We knew it was in Los Angeles. But we we didn't we're not told it happened at the L.A. Convention Center. I I made the joke and I told some of my colleagues I think what they're going to do is come by the hotel in an unmarked van, blindfold us, throw us in there, and yeah, I maybe on the side of the van it would say El Chapo. I don't know. Um, <laughs> some of the other people said maybe one one it was this is a funny story. I was also covering a film for Universal Studios, uh, the movie Sisters and and Krampus. And one of the refs from Universal said, you know, I think what they're going to do is they're going to fly you guys up to uh, Lucas, you know, Skywalker Ranch, and uh, actually do the interviews. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think that's going to happen. 
that didn't happen. That would have been nice, but it didn't happen. <laughs> but I think, you know, here's what I got out of it. Here's what I got out of, you know, talking to, and I talked to J.J. Abrams, who's just a huge fan of Star Wars. I think he's still in, in a little bit of shock that he did the project. You know, he turned it down initially, which we talked a little bit about, but I wanted to keep it positive because the guy has probably been asked of it gazillion times and, and our conversation was more like you're a fan how exciting you know for him it was all about there were times on the set and i got this from the entire cast they were pinching themselves and they were like i can't believe that we're actually you know the the, bit, the one thing that came up from a lot of the cast members was like walking onto the set and seeing the millennium falcon and they're actually filming a star wars movie and they're in it so for a lot of them they kind of went into it as huge fans and you could still see the excitement you know, in their in their in their eyes and and the way they were talking about it. The other thing that was interesting, guys, was when I asked them, "How did you keep this a secret?" And a lot of them said, "Told me, well, you in Hollywood, we have to keep secrets, <laughs> you know, personal things and things like that." So they're they're kind of trained to it. But the one person that really had an interesting answer to that question was J.J. Abrams himself, who and and you got to hear this out. He actually ran plot lines by his, we haven't even heard this interview yet, I'm telling you guys already, he ran plot lines by his nine-year-old son, who, and, and, and I said, okay, J.J., but is that for real? He said, oh, yeah, and he said, well, did you change anything in, in, because of him? He said, oh, absolutely. There were some story changes that were main, made based on what his kid did or did not like. And I'm like, you're kidding. He's like, no, That's I'm not crazy. kidding. He wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't tell me what, what the, the changes were made, so we'll, We'll never know unless I talk to him again, and maybe after the movie's out, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him again. But, yeah, I think that was really, really interesting. So, you know, do I think it's going to be a, a huge movie event? Absolutely. For a lot of people, the first three films were, uh, you know, life-changing events. The next three films may be a little bit disappointing, kind of, um, I've heard the terms like ruin the franchise or whatever. So what reasons do you have in talking to the cast and crew about being excited about The Force Awakens? I think that it's been so long. And, 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 you know, it is, it is such an event that makes it exciting. You know, not having seen the film, I don't know. There's, there, there were all kinds of conspiracy theories going around that people were saying, well, maybe they haven't screened it for us because, for lack of a better term, they said it sucks. And you've you got to kind of, you know, as a critic, you've kind of got to go, well, there might be concern. Now, I did get a hold of an email that was sent to the Hollywood Foreign Press um, one, I have some friends that are members of that. Of course, they are the ones that put on the Golden Globes, which is another precursor to the Oscars. And there was an email that was sent internally to their members that I actually saw, and I can tell you verbatim the email said, to preserve the movie-going experience. And that's what was said to them from Disney. So what does that mean? Well, that means that, that there's some plot hole, there's some plot things uh, that are in the film that they don't want out. This thing is... You know, like, like you even said, what we've been talking about, it's one of the biggest movie events. The second that this movie gets screened, it's going to be all over the Internet. We're going to know. I'm going to purposely, until I see it, I'm actually seeing it on Tuesday, I, I'm going to purposely try to stay away from any spoilers because I, like everybody else, want, you know, want to, I want to be surprised about what, you know, what we see in, in the film. So I think there's, there's some big plot things that happen in the movie. I've heard one of the principal characters may get killed off. Who knows? Uh, the other thing, the other theory, and then this actually kind of plays, I think, more in tune from, from what I'm thinking, it, because I've covered so many movie, movies for Disney, including, you know, the big Marvel films like The Avengers, 
uh, a lot of those films don't get done and, and completed until the very end. Yes, they probably screened it for George Lucas. They probably screened it for you know some of the uh, executives at Disney. But I, I honestly, I, I kind of get the feeling it's not even done yet. That they're still trying to finish this thing because uh, the Avengers actually were, was done uh, about six or seven hours before we sat down and interviewed the cast. I'm not even kidding. So, and that was the last one that they came out. So I, you know, there's, who knows? We'll never know. Um, I just, I don't know. There's a ton of secrecy around it. I guess we'll, we'll see here in a week, won't we? What's, what's going on? By the way, I guess I want to ask you guys a question. Do you guys already have your tickets for, for uh, The Force Awakens? I do not, actually. I do not want to shell out $400 on StubHub, as I've seen on some locations. So I guess I'm just going to wait a few weeks until the crowds die down a bit. My girlfriend's handling that for us. She's the, she's the bigger Star Wars fan of the two of us, so I think that's a Christmas surprise, and I uh, I have not heard about yet that yet, what, what date we're seeing it, but uh, it will hopefully be soon, because I'm excited, too. Penny... If you're listening right now, Kevin is dropping some hints. So if you have not finished your Christmas shopping, I think you made it crystal clear right there. But the new Star Wars movie debuts on December 18th. And as we understand, you actually had the opportunity to sit down with Harrison Ford. What was your take from him following the interview, knowing that he had been with the Star Wars franchise from the get-go? That was one of the questions that I asked him. I'll back up a little bit and tell you that I was waiting for him. I was the second guy to talk to him the day that they shot interviews. There were a bunch of us, the reporters that were sitting in a line, and they were they had they took us in around you know five five in a group. So the the handler, the publicist for Disney, sat us down, and they were like, "All right, who wants to go first? And we all kind of looked at each other. And at that point, we were all, hey, "I'll go first. I'll go first. And then here comes Harrison Ford down the hallway, who kind of has this look of of anger. <laughs> he just he's real intimidating. He uh, had this look like like he was just mad. He didn't want to be there. Um, it just, you know, you could, anyway, so at that point we all looked at each other, pointed to the other person and said, all right, you go first, you go first. So we went from like totally <laughs> eager to like, no, nah, I think you could take it. So I, and I went second, the guy that, that was ahead of me, uh, I said, well, if you come out crying, then I'll know what's going on. You know what? Let me tell you that he was, Harrison was the complete opposite of, of what we thought. Uh, when we went in there, the, the guy is, is, is awesome. He's extremely, he's such a professional. And some of the handlers that were there had, had told me that, he is, he's always on time. He, he's a professional. You know, I, I do these pretty much weekly. So I've been in situations where actors can be, can run late. I won't say any names, Vin Diesel, but they, uh, <laughs> yeah, that guy, I love him, but he's notorious. And, and, but Harrison is, is a pro and that's exactly what I got from him. So, you know, talking about the film, you could see it in his eyes. I asked him, I said, you know, what, what, did you have any idea? I asked about his audition. I asked, you know, if this is, uh, you know, been, did he have any idea that it was going to be as magical as it was? And he said at some point when they did the first one, he said they all were kind of like, wow, we might have something here. And this is before the world even knew what it was, you know, and, and think about the effects and, and how raw that movie looks right now, the older ones, to compare to what they can do right now. You know, because of technology. Just talking to Harrison Ford, you could just see the excitement. You know, he was just as eager to talk about this film, I think, as he was, you know, some of the other projects. He's just happy to be a part of it. And for him, it's still as exciting as it was from the the early days. You know, I asked him, I said, what was it like the first day you got on the set, walked on the Millennium Falcon? He looked at me, he smiled, and he goes, Dave, it was amazing. He goes, I can't even tell you, describe to you how how cool it was to, to once again step into that. So he's, he's extremely appreciative 
I think, of, of the audience, and he, he's a great guy. I, I was just in awe. I, you know, there were times I actually had to watch the tapes back after I did the interview because I had no idea what he said when I was sitting across the room. I was just staring at the guy. I was just like, wow, he's here. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. So it's, he's, he's amazing. That's quite remarkable. And as a sports-based podcast, The Weekly Brew, one of the films that we're actually interested in is one starring Will Smith that opens on Christmas Day, December 25th, and it's the new concussion movie. It seems to have the NFL on edge, and I'm curious, have you been able to preview the movie? And if so, what are your thoughts on it, and what impact do you think it has with the NFL and the ongoing litigation surrounding concussions? Uh, it's an incredible film. I have seen it. I actually spent some time with Will Smith. While I was in Los Angeles last week, they brought him to a, uh, a BFCA uh, you know, reception where he was campaigning for the film. Will's an incredible guy. I've known the guy for many, 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 many years. When I worked in Los Angeles, I did several events with him, so it was good to see him. I hadn't seen him in years. The movie's incredible. Will's performance is fantastic. It's an amazing, powerful, raw story, and it's true. It, it's how the, the league actually became aware of concussions and the damage that they can do. You know, it shows the NFL, I think, in a, in a very, it's very, it's a very revealing type fashion. They, the NFL is a huge corporation, as we all know. You know, there's a line in the film where the guy says, I can't believe we're going to take on the NFL. These guys have a, a day of the week that's their own, which is Sunday. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a powerful, it's a, to me, this film is a huge statement about what is going on in, in, in the world of, of concussions and the controversy that surrounds it. I, I'm actually, I asked Will, I asked the director, he was there at the reception as well, I said, what does the NFL think? And he says, they're actually not against it. And I don't know if that was just a campaign line, but I was surprised to get that answer because, you know, the, the commissioner that's featured in the, in, the, in the film is no longer the commissioner. So this is something that happened, well, pretty recent, you know, since I, I believe it, it was about seven or eight years ago, you know, uh, and, I, and, and I think the NFL, what, what Will basically told me was that, well, the NFL is saying, look, listen, look where it started and look where we are now. We take these things extremely serious. I think we just kind of saw that recently with this incident that happened with Case Keenum, you know, that they left him in the game after, and, and that's getting investigated. The, the movie shows a very raw uh, you know, story. It, it, it tells a raw story of how dangerous you know these can be. Frank Gifford, obviously, that that just came out recently, but he did die of the, the head injury. You know, these are real. These are real uh, injuries that happen to to the players and people. I, I think if anything, it's going to open some eyes and make more people aware of of really how dangerous it is to to be a player in the NFL and how serious they need to take these situations. If, if players they, they need to be looked at. You know, I know that other players, yeah, players are suing right now that were injured back in the day. So, you know, but it's a, it's a great film. And, and, for, and you don't need to be a, a sports junkie. I'm a sports junkie as well. And you don't have to really be a sports junkie uh, to, to appreciate how good the film is. In fact, if anything, it's going to open eyes to the average person that may or may not be aware of this and how serious it is, which may prompt further discussion and hopefully 
prevent further injury. So there's a quote from the PBS documentary um, League of Denial. It said, if 10% of mothers in this country begin to perceive football as a dangerous sport, that's the end of football. And so that's, that's a concern people have. And so having seen this film and the emotional impact it might have on a really wide viewing audience, I mean, what is your uh, impression of what uh, people are going to think about the sport of football after this movie? Football is huge, and I don't think it's going to take away anything. It's not going to take, it's certainly not going to hurt the NFL. I mean, they're 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 just a, and, it's, and that's another part of the film that you see that really how huge the NFL is. But what I think it is going to do, I, no, it's not. I don't think it's going to make kids. It, it's and you know here in Texas where we're at, football is king. I don't think football is going to get pulled because of a film, you know, starring Will Smith. What I think it is going to do is prompt discussion, which I think it needs to. And I think that's was also one of the the purposes for releasing this movie is that it's telling the story of something that, that is, is that's happening. So it, it, if, it's, if, if it accomplishes that and gets people to discuss, you know, how serious these injuries are, then it's, I think it's, you know, it's done its job. I don't think it's going to hurt football, and I don't think it's going to shut down progress, because you know what? Football isn't the only sport that, that, that kids and, and athletes get, you know, get hurt in, in concussion. Now, football is the biggest target because they're, I think they happen a little bit more frequent. But, you know, soccer, I mean, people get in baseball, I mean, you can get injured the same, you know, the same way. Uh, but I think football is a, a huge sport in the United States. It's, 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 you know, the big kid in the room and, and the big star in the room. And everybody, uh, everybody, of course, you know, knows the sport. And then they're the ones that are, um, they're the ones that are going to get targeted. So I, I don't, I mean, but I, I would totally recommend it for sports and non-sports fans. I don't work for Sony Pictures. So I'm not here to promote it, but I'm here to tell you that it's an incredible movie. Will does an incredible job. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the pathologist that Will's character is based on actually just came out and and said some stuff about high school football, if I'm not mistaken. I think that uh, he he just came out with something. He's still investigating this. It's a great movie, guys. And I think, again, if if it prompts discussion, it's done its job. Yeah, actually, Omalo did uh, publish an op-ed piece in the New York Times about three or four days ago, I believe, and so that's that is recent stuff that's that's still going on there. But but speaking of Omalo and uh, Will Smith, you mentioned you spoke to him. Um, what uh, did he say about this project and taking on that role of uh, Doctor Omalu? Well, we didn't. We weren't in a you know a formal you know interview setting. It was just a, a casual conversation. But Will took the movie on because he loves the script. He thinks it's an important story to tell which I completely agree. I had not seen the movie. He asked me if I'd seen it. I said, no, and I had not. I saw it when I got back from L.A. He was drawn to it because he's a fan. And uh, I just think that it was just an important story for him to, to tell. It, and it, um, you know, he just he felt that attraction to it. I think, and Will, Will also, I mean, just from not just being a great guy, but he cares. And it's not just a facade. He doesn't put up a front. The guy is genuine about everything that he does. I, I just, I'm a huge fan. He has always have been. I, you know, I've known him for about 15 years, and he's just a solid, solid character. So I think this movie, and if you look back at some of the movies that he's done, you know, Pursuit of Happiness and some of the other things that he's done, there's purpose to to a lot of his films. Now, Minute Black might be silly, but I mean, it's, it's yeah. But but most most of the movies that Will does, you know, he does he does with a purpose, and certainly this one, I think, for him. Uh, is falls into that category. Dave, you had mentioned that award season is right around the corner, and I know there are a few other films that you're passionate about right now. If I have some time this December to go see a movie or two over the holidays, what would you recommend and why? Well, one of the, the SAG Awards came out today, and one of the awards that surprised me 
the nomination that came out was the one for uh, Brian Cranston, who plays Dalton Trumbo in the movie Trumbo. If you're a film guy, you got to see this movie. I mean, and we're talking, uh, you know, Dalton Trumbo, Trumbo was uh, blacklisted for being a communist back in the day, and the guy did uh, so many incredible films. He wasn't able to take credit for it. Uh, Brian Cranston does an incredible job of playing Dalton. If you can catch Trumbo, see it. it you'll, you certainly will enjoy it. Uh, a couple of the other movies out there, I think, and this is the one that I, since you're talking sports, I will tell you right now, and I've been screaming about this movie, and people are like, really, Dave? I can't believe you're that excited about it. It is going on my ballot. I'm going to nominate it in all categories, and I'm talking about the movie Creed, yes. uh, which is a new Rocky movie, and I, can, I highly, highly recommend that. Yes, the theme is in the movie, so when you see it, you will be screaming, you will be jumping. I saw it with the cast and crew in Philadelphia, and I saw it again in Houston. I've already seen it twice. It's a great movie, and I am going to nominate Sylvester Stallone for a supporting actor role. I hope that he gets some traction going. I noticed that the Screen Actors Guild didn't didn't uh, nominate him, but he is certainly somebody. That hopefully, that the Critics' Choice we can take care of him through the BFCA. Um, I like. Uh, I haven't seen Revenant, but I know Leo DiCaprio, DiCaprio is one of the front runners for the Best Actor uh, category. There's a couple of others. Steve Jobs. I'm not surprised Steve Jobs is getting so much uh, attention. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a good film. It's a powerful film, but it's also a real depressing film. I mean, it's not Steve Jobs, the idol. This is, this is a story about who Steve Jobs was, and it's a very raw look at how mean this guy really was. Uh, a couple others that, that stand out for me is um, uh, 99 Holmes, Michael Shannon. I was really happy to see him get in nomination, supporting role. I would catch that if you can. Uh, but in, in, I guess in that order, Spotlight is another one that they're saying may win Best Picture. I actually just screened it last night. I'm not really sure why it's getting all this attention. It's a good it's a good ensemble cast, but I don't think it's a great film. There is one though. There's another one actually talking about called Room that I would definitely definitely um, try to catch if you can. Brie Larson is a, probably a lot for the best actors uh, from that film. But I guess, you know, to summarize, my pick is Creed. And I know it's a Rocky movie. I told the cast that. I, I looked at uh, Michael B. Jordan and I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. When I told, was told I was going to cover the new Rocky movie, I kind of went, you're kidding. <laughs> and he, he, was, he goes, hey, when they told me, I saw the script and they said they want me to be in a new Rocky movie, he's saying, you're kidding as well. Crazy guys, and and it's, I, I tell you right now that you're going to absolutely love it. So if you get a chance, you know, check out Creed. That's the one that I'm screaming about. Also, Inside Out animation. That's a good one too. Speaking of Michael B. Jordan, he burst onto the scene with the television show Friday Night Lights and became critically acclaimed following his performance in Fruitvale Station. What did you think about his performance in Creed? And do you see him in that next generation of solid actors? Oh, he's he he is definitely on his way to. Uh, the big things, you know, even the director Ryan Coogler, uh, did Creed, who also did Fruitvale. That you talk to those guys, you know, I only got about five or six minutes with them. I could have spent at least an hour with each of them. They're incredible people. They're bright. They've got so much talent. They're wonderful guys. Extremely talented. You're going to see a lot from Ryan. You know, and I will tell you too about Ryan, the director from from uh, Creed. He wrote the story uh, based on a what was going on in his real life with his, I believe it was his dad or his grandfather. I think it might have been his dad, and I'm not going to ruin any of the movie, but something happened, and for some reason he was inspired to do a, uh, a piece 
uh, write a Rocky script. So what he did is he wrote it, and he got it to Sylvester Stallone's agent, who gave it to Stallone. Stallone read it and loved it. And because I asked him, I said, I can't believe that you're going to write a movie uh, based on, uh, you know, on this guy's iconic character, the guy, the character that really gave Stallone a career, and just try to go, how do you pitch Stallone for a movie based on this iconic character? And he looked at me, he smiled, he laughed, he goes, I know, it sounds crazy. He goes, but I got lucky, and Stallone loved it, and guess what? He did a great job. I hope there's more. I really do. And Ryan is, really? is uh, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, and, and Michael's great in the film, and Stallone is fantastic. Uh, you're, it, it's a great, it's a great movie. I'm so glad you gave me a chance to talk about it. Definitely looking forward to seeing it as we head into the holiday season. Again, we have Dave Morales joining us on the Weekly Brew from BackstageOL.com. Dave, before we let you go, we definitely encourage social media use from all of our listeners. Where can they find you on social media? And please tell us one more time about Backstage OL. Twitter handle is at uh, Dave Backstage OL, and the OL stands for online. BackstageOL.com is the website. And if you're in the Houston area, you can actually watch all over the world uh, at Fox 26. Houston, we're on the Fox 26 Morning News, where all the interviews air, and then of course my Fox, or actually it's Fox26Houston.com now. But BackstageWell.com, all the interviews are run there. Uh, BackstageWell.com, a news entertainment website uh, based in Houston, Texas. Think TMZ, but we don't do gossip and please. Our stuff is actually solid. And um, yeah, no, it's 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 good stuff. And yeah, that's my Twitter handle. And there you go. And I like I love getting in conversations with people. People say that I like everything. Well, guess what? I go to the movies to be entertained. And I don't like everything, but I do like a lot of what I see because when I go to the movies, to me, it's an escape. And I try to give most, most films the benefit of the doubt. Even even the Adam Sandler ones, actually, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So there you go. <laughs> Well, Dave, we appreciate you for taking the time out of the week to join us on the Weekly Brew. And to our listeners, make sure that you follow Dave on Twitter and check out his website, BackstageOL.com. Dave, we appreciate it. Thank you. You guys have a great night. Take care. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Kevin, we just had Dave Morales from Backstage OL on the podcast. And I'll tell you what, that was the first time that we've had a movie critic on. I know we've had some fans that say that we need to talk a little bit more about movies and music. And we're definitely obliging this week. But what did you think of Dave's interview? I mean, I thought it was fascinating just hearing his insights with, you know, Harrison Ford and Star Star Wars and uh also getting his insights from Will Smith and the new movie Concussion. I mean, I thought it was a fascinating interview. Well, Austin, I'm a movie critic. Uh, I used to actually work for BackstageOL.com. Dave Morales was my boss for a little while. It's kind of where I started cutting my teeth once I got out of college, stopped working for the Daily Cougar. So I'm a bit insulted that you think we've never had a movie critic on, movie critic on but um, certainly Dave is more qualified than I am. He talks to the stars. He has really fascinating, interesting stories. One of my favorite human beings in the world. And again, Dave, we appreciate you uh, being on. Great interview. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, Harrison Ford is one of those guys that. Um, I don't know if I'd be starstruck by anyone necessarily, but but he's up there. I mean, because he's been in everything, and and I love him. I think he's really talented, and uh, so hearing that he's a nice guy was encouraging to me because I always love to hear that actors and people are nice guys. And then uh, broke the news here that J.J. Abrams pitched uh, stories from Star Wars to his son, and his son had ultimate editorial control over what went into the new Star Wars film, which is it's revealing news to me. So if you guys don't like the film, blame. Uh, 
J.J. Abrams' son, whose name I don't think was mentioned. But uh, but yeah, so that was fascinating information as well. Dave is always entertaining. You know, he's a radio DJ for many years and uh, just a really fun, uh, entertaining, articulate guy and uh, and a pleasure to have him on for sure. Yeah, we definitely enjoyed having him on. And a lot of those movies are going to be big around uh, the Christmas time period. I think a lot of families, uh, you know, if they're looking for something to do, are going to go out and, uh, you know, catch one of those films over Christmas. And one of the things that I, I noticed this week, and I'm not sure if any of you guys use Uber, but Uber is doing their 12 days of Christmas cheer. And earlier this week, if you selected a certain Uber, I believe it was carolers, they would actually send carolers to your office or house and come and sing to you. And uh, Kevin, I knew a few months back we had actually uh, discussed that uh, you had a caroling experience in high school, and I think the listeners might enjoy it. Would you mind uh, giving us a lowdown on that? I'm sure if you uh, if you listen to this show, you know that I have a very uh, soothing, melodious baritone baritone voice, and uh, that's sort of what got me into caroling. I was in choir for a bit while I was in high school before I was kicked out. Um, <clears throat> this is after getting kicked out of band. It was sort of my next uh, project, and I got kicked out of a lot of things in high school. I was sort of a degenerate scumbag, which you'll learn from the story. But um, so I was with the uh, the choir kids, some friends of mine. I think you know some of them, Austin. I won't mention their names on air, but uh, we got really into the singing of Christmas carols, which we kind of had to do for a Christmas concert. And we got the idea: why don't we go door to door caroling? And um, and a couple of us liked that idea, and a couple others of us said. That's fine, but is there any way that we can use this to our advantage? And somebody, may or may not be me, I'm going to plead the fifth, had the brilliant idea to tell people that we were raising money for the spring trip and to carol for (laughs) money. Now, of course, all of our spring trips were paid for by our parents, so that was basically just cash money in our pockets. So we went to the richest uh, neighborhoods in the woodlands, uh, particularly the gated ones, kind of went door to door and uh, made... I mean, just an absolutely astronomical profit because it was four to six of us every night caroling for several hours. Um, people really enjoyed that. You know, we did the candles and we, we had uh, outfits and did the whole thing up real nice. Even got invited to a couple of parties where they passed around hats. And I'm talking like thousands of dollars. So <laughs> I hope the IRS uh, doesn't hear this. I don't think that anyone from the IRS listens, but, uh, but that was basically how we financed our Christmas presents as kids from, uh, I think it was like 10th, 11th, 12th grade maybe. And, uh, so that's my, that's my caroling story. So if you recall, if you happen to be in the woodlands, uh, about, you know, 10 years ago, uh, that, uh, that was us. And, uh, we were not raising money for spring trips. Sorry guys. You know, I actually don't mind that. I mean, that's capitalism to its finest. I mean, you had a product, you were settling it and, uh, you were paid you know, handsomely for it. I mean, I, I don't mind that at all. What the market can bear. Definitely an interesting story, Kevin. And I know that you did not stop by our house uh, for caroling. So I'm a little bit disappointed in that. Uh, but, you know, this week has been uh, a little bit crazy in, in, in the sports world, specifically college football. And I know that the lion's share of our show today is going to be the interviews that we've conducted uh, with Nick Morales and Dave Morales. But I'm curious from your perspective, uh, specifically with Kyle Allen, the quarterback at Texas A&M, who was their starting quarterback. He announced earlier this week that he was going to transfer from Texas A&M. And I know that's something that we had discussed via text message. But what are some of your thoughts on that, that... Uh, you know, Texas A&M, they've had so many quarterbacks transferring over the past few years. I mean, what do you see with this and Kevin Sumlin and Kyle Allen moving forward from the Aggie program? I have a very ambivalent relationship with A&M athletics because, uh, you know, they're they're near us, near Houston. They're no longer in the Big 12, so they're not opponents of Texas, who I also support. So sometimes I love them, sometimes I hate them. It's kind of like the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, I, sometimes I like to see them do well, sometimes I like to see them fail. So in this instance, it's sort of another example of schadenfreude where I'm really enjoying uh, the turmoil that's happening over there. Because again, uh, we've mentioned this before, and I'm no less bitter now than I was then. Uh, Kevin Sumlin uh, was a coach of, of U of H's and was stolen from us, and so I don't mind bad things happening to the Aggies. And this is a bad thing. I mean, you know, 
Kyle Allen's doing what's right for him and best for his life, but uh, it's a bad thing for the Indian program. It's a bad look too, because Sumlin is purportedly an offensive guy. You know, if anyone should be able to retain quarterbacks, promote them, make them look good, and make them successful, give them opportunities to win on the field, it would be that guy. And instead, he's losing them in droves. And Kyler Murray, uh, the freshman who took the job from Kyle Allen um, for several games midseason, I think he's going to play baseball this season, uh, this spring, which means that the only scholarship quarterback headed into offseason drills is going to be Jake. Hubenak. So that's not a good look for the Aggies. And at least at the moment, I feel kind of tickled by it, honestly. To me, it's definitely an interesting situation with Texas A&M and just constantly losing quarterbacks. And honestly, I think uh, Kevin Sumlin has to be on the hot seat moving into next year. I mean, after the, having uh, that great first season with 11 wins and Johnny Mansell, they've been mediocre at best, winning eight, nine games a season. I don't know that that's going to cut it uh, at A&M. But we had mentioned Kyle Allen transferring, and uh, I've heard rumors that he might end up in Arizona, uh, might end up at OU. But I think right now it's kind of uncertain where he's going to land. Uh, do you have any... if, if if you're telling Kyle Allen where to go right now, what fits what program fits best for him? Well, there's an interesting quote from him. He said, I never really liked recruiting, but I guess I got to go through it again, which who doesn't like being recruited? I, I love attention. That's most of the reason that I'm on this show. I just love to be the center of attention. I don't get anyone who doesn't, particularly not a quarterback. It seems like you need that to be a good quarterback. But he said, ideally, he'd like to transfer to a Power 5 conference program, and uh, particularly one that has a QB that'd be a senior in 2016. So he'd be able to compete for the job in 2017 when he's eligible. And so one location that that seems to work in particularly well would be Oklahoma, um, where Baker Mayfield has actually transferred in and become a star. So um, he actually has a quote here. Oklahoma comes to mind because it does fit all those things that he mentioned. And my old high school teammate, Mark Andrews, is a receiver there. And coach Bob Stoops is an all-time great coach. So it seems to me that that's where he's leaning. And, um, you know, it's not like the Texas OU rivalry, but it's still kind of a uh, almost like a slap in the face. That's a program that, you know, um, loves to compete against A&M and, uh, you know, generally the same areas. So, uh, you know, again, I love to see bad things happen to the A&M program, and this is certainly one of them. I think he's probably headed to OU, but I feel like you think he's going back home. I mean, I've heard rumors that he could head back to Arizona again. He was a highly touted quarterback. I think he would fit great in uh, you know, either one of the systems at Arizona or Arizona State. But you mentioned OU, and I, I do think that that is a likely landing spot for him. I mean, if, if you look at his social media activity immediately following his announcement that he was transferring, he followed two people. He followed the quarterback's coach at Oklahoma and Bob Stoops. So I think that's pretty telling in itself. But looking at his career at Texas A&M, he's passed for just over 3,500 yards, 33 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. Uh, he's got a big frame, uh, 6'3", 210. Uh, and again, he was rated the top high school quarterback in the country in his recruiting class. So I think he's going to make a great fit uh, wherever he lands. And uh, I kind of agree with you that Oklahoma might be the, the likely landing spot for him. On the other hand, uh, you know who's going to be a senior next year? Greg Ward Jr. So it's not inconceivable that he might end up in Houston if he's looking for a place to go and he's not courted by these other Power 5 programs. So that's the that's the one thing that's left out here. But hey, if Houston does well in the Peach Bowl, uh, you know, maybe they'll get some national cred. I don't know. I'm being a homer. I can tell. I can hear it in my voice. But uh, I would certainly love to see Kyle Allen come to, uh, to U of H. And uh, that could be a possibility maybe an outside shot. We've talked about the University of Houston several times, and uh, Coach Herman was just granted a uh, nice contract extension, uh, bumped up to annual salary of nearly $3 million a year. And uh, one coach in the state, 
uh, who might not be as safe as Charlie Strong. And did you see what he did this week? Yeah, and you were telling me a little bit about it too, but uh, I like your perspective on it. It's a little bit different. I, it wasn't as much of a story in the things I was reading, but uh, from your from your standpoint, it certainly sounds a little more interesting. So tell the listeners. So Tulsa, they have a co-offensive coordinator named Sterling Gilbert. He is a uh, Art Bryles protege. Uh, you know, Tulsa runs a very, very up-tempo spread, uh, you know, spread them out type offense. And as we know, uh, Charlie Strong's offense since the two years that he's been at Texas has been quite inept. And so this year they courted a few different uh, potential offensive coordinators. There were rumors that they offered uh, TCU Sonny Cumbie $1 million for a contract. Uh, he turned them down. So Texas uh, had earlier this past week allegedly agreed to a contract with uh, Sterling Gilbert of Tulsa. And then on Thursday, it was reported that he uh, actually had turned them down. So Coach Charlie Strong, Athletic Director Mike Perrin, and School President Greg Fins actually got on a private jet, flew up to Tulsa, essentially got down on their knees and begged. And the funny part is there's actually video footage of Gilbert like meeting with Longhorn staff in his parking lot, like in his garage outside of his home. Uh, so, I mean, Texas literally got down and begged a co-offensive coordinator at Texas and then Gilbert, who has to be a master negotiator, received a three-year contract guaranteed, fully guaranteed, $850,000 a year. I mean, that's insane. Uh, Texas is paying an unproven commodity nearly a million dollars. And I, I just hope for Charlie Strong's sake that this guy actually knows what he's doing, because if not, I think Strong's gone next year. Is that how you say the president's name? Finn? It looks like, it looks like Finvez. Is it not Finvez? Could be. I have no idea. I was thinking it was like Les Moonves, you know, CBS. Uh, could Finviz. be. I don't know. I have no idea. I've never heard it said. Uh, other other odd names in the story would definitely be Sterling himself, which uh, looks like it ought to have a G at the end of it. Like Sterling is a name I'm familiar with. Sterling, uh, not so much. It's very country. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess from that standpoint, if you're if you're claiming they had to beg the guy and they were turned down by other um, applicants, certainly a turnaround for the Texas program, which was, you know, the, uh, the cream of the NCAA crop as recently as, you know, 12 years ago. But... Uh, it's fallen on hard times for sure. And I don't know if Charlie Strong is the guy. I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't gotten a beat on what you think, but I don't feel like Charlie Strong is the guy. And I think he might be on his way out uh, very soon. I tend to agree. I think I, I, I've spoken with several people that are uh, familiar with the UT program, and many believe that if he doesn't win eight or nine games next year, then he could be on his way out. And so I think that uh, Sterling Gilbert was very smart to get that three-year guaranteed contract because, you know, if, if Strong is fired next year, say Texas wins four or five games next season, I mean, the entire staff is going to be replaced. I mean, they're not going to – a new head coach is going to come in and bring his own offensive coordinator. So well done for Tulsa Sterling Strong – or well done on Tulsa Sterling Gilbert for negotiating that contract. Uh, he's going to have a nice Christmas holiday with his family. It's also it's also weird if you look at it that uh, Cumbie stayed uh, with the Horn Frogs. Like, it, can you imagine in a world I don't know ten fifteen years ago reading that the TCU you know coach stayed with TCU rather than going to Texas for I mean presumably more money? Like that's that's absurd to me. It's amazing how times have changed. I guess it was probably ten years ago, right around this time of year, we were watching. Uh, both you and I actually were watching the. Um, Texas Longhorns playing the national championship against USC. I mean, they were the national brand, uh, and now you know they're 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 you know going up to Tulsa and begging for an offensive coordinator. I mean, it's just it's amazing how much time can change 
in 10 years. That was quite a game. Uh, very good night, as I recall. I think we poured out into the street to party afterwards. I was actually a UT student at that point in time. If, if listeners don't know, I was at UT for a single semester, and it was that semester, uh, and Kevin Durant was there the next semester. So I, I, I got to see a lot of interesting sports there before I transferred back to U of H, where I belonged. Um, but uh, Lauren Edelman, if you remember her, she broke my parents' couch, and they have never let me forget it. I still hear about that uh, for having you people over. But, but great night, and certainly a great win for the Texas program. And then I honestly would not have been able to imagine that this uh, this you know uh, little amount of time would pass and they would be this bad. They're almost a laughing stock because the amount of money that's poured into that program compared with the lack of results that they've shown um, in the last few years is I mean it's embarrassing. And I think I mean is it possible or is it fair to say that Mac Brown um, in some ways shot that program in the foot by staying as long as he did? I think that's a fair assessment. I mean uh, you still have his recruits there and Charlie Strong had to clean house, so uh, you know he. It, I don't know if he's going to stay around long, but it's just crazy to me that Texas is in this type of position. I mean, they are the flagship school for the university, or they are the flagship school for the state of Texas, and uh, they have unlimited resources when it comes to athletic budgets and uh, you know boosters, and they're struggling. And from a Baylor perspective, I love it. I will say that maybe that unlimited resources comes with its own kind of trials and tribulations, because when you're a smaller uh, program with less resources or fewer resources, then I think maybe you have to work a little smarter uh, and work a little harder. And when you have this much money to throw out a problem, um, maybe it's just harder to get the right guys in place, the right guys who are passionate, guys that are committed to the program, not just the paycheck. I think in some ways, the magnitude and enormity of the Texas program has kind of collapsed in on itself like a, um, like a, uh, what do they call those stars that explode? Supernovas into a black hole. And so we're witnessing black hole Texas right now. And I think maybe the best they can hope for is uh, what, like a white dwarf in a couple of years. I don't know. I'm not that good at astronomy, but I can tell you that the program is definitely not. Um, I don't even think it's trending in the right direction, honestly, but but I could be wrong on that. All right. We promised the listeners, Kevin, that this, this would be episode 19 would focus a little bit more on movies and music. So I think it's finally time to you know get off of sports for a second. And let's head into our second interview. In fact, joining us now on the Weekly Brew is Nick Morales, the lead singer from the band Second Lovers. Nick, thanks for joining us on the podcast. And before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and the band. I'm the singer and guitarist for Second Lovers. Uh, there's seven of us. No, six. <laughs> Sometimes I count extra. <laughs> there's six of us. And uh, I'd like there to be seven. There's another guy that I like to bring on, on as far as like keyboards and stuff. But um, yeah, there's six of us. It's kind of hard to, cross, but uh, luckily we're, we're doing pretty well right now. I guess you guys have been around for about five years now. And what is that dynamic like in the band with six members and possibly wanting to recruit a seventh? We've had a lot of people come and go. Um, and the seventh member I'm talking about is Matt Lopez. And uh, he used to actually pay, play bass for us. And we've had, you know, a number of people just come and go and, it's been pretty rough, uh, to be honest, but right now I think we're in a in a good hold as far as who we have, you know, on on the squad, you know, on this team making this music and in the past four years, uh, we haven't released anything as far as like a an actual record and in January we're getting to actually do that again. So it's 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 pretty neat. 
So we opened the show with uh, Hold On, your latest single, which uh, I have absolutely fallen in love with. I'm, uh, I got it for myself on iTunes, and I've been uh, getting it for my friends and family on iTunes. I'm just a, a big fan of that sound. Um, and uh, so I'm curious, Second Lovers, where does the name come from? I'm always curious about band names. What does that one mean uh, to you guys? Second Lovers is actually a, a title from a song by Towns Van Vamp. He's like a singer-songwriter back in the 70s. Uh, here in Houston, and uh, he would go down to Galveston a lot also. Uh, he wrote a lot of songs that Willie Nelson now plays and has covers of, and stuff like that. So we kind of took that and, and ran with it. I've sort of been reading about you guys, and your sound has been evolving. So you've been described in the past as Americana, and, and you're kind of moving in a new direction. Can you describe kind of what that new direction sounds like and uh, and whether uh, you know you guys are excited about that new sound? Yeah, totally. It's uh, it's more indie rock, I guess you could say, or pop rock, maybe. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's it's definitely a, a step in a new direction for all of us, and uh, and it's what I love about it. It's a little bit more colorful, a little bit more uh, you know, just kind of brightens someone's day, <laughs> and uh, it's a lot more energetic and. I think we're that's what we've been looking for for a while now. We were talking before the show about indie rock. What exactly does indie rock mean? Because I was unclear on what the distinction is between that and other types of rock. So I'd be curious to have that uh, illuminated. Yeah, I mean, indie rock uh, can mean a number of things. It always has, like, subgenres. But um, I think in this case, it's it's something that's, you know, not your mainstream rock. You know, it's a little bit, a little bit edgier, I guess you can say. Uh, a little bit more experimental. Uh, but again, you know, you can go in different different directions with that with that subgenre. In terms of indie rock, are there any specific bands that you kind of draw as influencers that you know kind of maybe help shape or direct your sound a little bit? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of bands I listen to, uh, but ones that I've kind of been looking up to, which you know, lately for this new sound, I guess Kings of Leon. Um, I'm a huge fan of Coldplay, and that, that's weird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a guilty pleasure. Uh, another band, Augustana. They're like they were kind of big in 2006 or so, but I actually saw them in concert. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're one of my favorite bands. Uh, well, a couple of years ago, when when they were in town, I remember Dan had to play at Cactus Music for like an acoustic thing, and and he forgot pretty much everything except for his guitar. So at that moment, I went out and grabbed all my gear from my car, <laughs> cables and all, and got to help him out. And that was really cool because he's you know he's a big influence even though he's my age. And so I thought that was pretty neat. Um, that's, I mean, Delta Spirit is another another band that we kind of look up to. Um, but everybody listens to to a lot of stuff. I mean, we've been jamming some Run the Jewels, you know, with Killer Mike and LP. Um, we listen to everything, really. I know Weezer's a big thing, too. Um, yeah, <laughs> we kind of just kind of run across the board. But as far as, like, the songwriting and the direction that we want to go, I guess you can say, like, Kings of Leon or the new Mumford & Sons record, which is a lot more electric, uh, a lot more driving, you know, energetic, uh, Coldplay stuff. Uh, you know, bigger sounds, bigger sounds, a lot more energetic, uh, colorful, colorful stuff. 
that's what life's all about, you know. We had a musical guest on from Nashville probably about uh, a month and a half, two months ago. And she told us that there were a few bands, Florida Georgia Line and uh, specifically Florida Georgia Line, uh, that she wasn't a fan of. Uh, but we asked her, you know, if, if they asked you to go on tour, would you join? And she said, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious, are there any bands that you guys aren't a fans of? Uh, <laughs> I'd mentioned Mumford & Sons. I think our banjo player <laughs> is slash mandolin player, he like just despises them. But yeah, totally. If they asked us to go on tour, we'd probably, <laughs> we'd probably drag them to go on that tour. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that because Austin and I were talking before you came on, and that was exactly the band that we uh, that we mentioned as is one that you might not care for. And I and I get that they're sort of oversaturated, but um, but yeah, good good call out on that one for sure. I'm curious, so you guys are, are a local product, Houston guys, and of course you'll be playing at the Nightingale Room uh, December 17th. Um, but uh, you know the Houston music scene doesn't get as much love as like the Austin scene or, or some other towns, um, you know, in Texas or in the area. What what to you is special or unique or different about the Houston music scene um, that that makes it worthwhile for you? I think here in Houston, you know, we there, there's a ton of bands here for one, a ton of bands, um, and it ranges from like you know, death metal to to shoegaze or or to like disco or whatever. You know, there's everything. Everything is here. Um, I mean, we practice at this place called Francisco Studios, which is downtown, uh, kind of on the the lower east end of it. And every night you hear all kinds of stuff. All kinds. Well, like the other night we heard one room was playing, you know, Tool. The other room was playing a Cindy Lauper cover. <laughs> you know, it's like you get everything, you know. And what's really neat is that a lot of these bands, you know, we're all connected in some way. You know, just because we play a different genre from uh, Born Again Virgins, which is, you know, the band is no longer around, I think. And But they're a hardcore band. Uh, we were good friends with them. You know, it doesn't matter here. We're a really tight-knit community, regardless of what we play. I think it's just playing music is the one thing that we love doing. And regardless of how we play it, you know, that brings us together. In Austin, you know, it's it's pretty saturated. Uh, you have a million bands and not a lot of them get along. Uh, good thing that we have friends in Austin that we do play with all the time. And we bring them down here. You know, we want to show everybody that Houston's pretty hot and it's a pretty happening space. So, you know, we bring people from Dallas or, or you know, New Orleans or wherever to show them how cool we are, <laughs> you know, just to show them, Hey man, you know, we love music down here, regardless of who you are, or where you're from. You know, if you got something good, Hey, let's jam, you know, let's listen to it. As Kevin had mentioned, you guys have a show Thursday night at the Nightingale room in Houston. Uh, when you guys perform, I know you have played a few festivals, uh, specifically free press. What is that like kind of gearing up to it? Is there something that you guys have to do to get into that mindset and get ready to perform? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I listen to a lot of Drake before I perform. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, going into like a, you know, whatever JJ Watt has to do, you know, he trains all the time, you know, that's like what we do. We practice all the time. You know, he might listen to some jams before, you know, today's game day, I think. Uh, you know, he listens to whatever, you know, to get him geared up. Uh, you know, we do too, you know. It's it's definitely a huge mindset that you have to get into because you're not there for yourself anymore. You know, making the music and being at practice, you're there for yourself. You know, you make music for yourself. Make yourself feel happy or sad or whatever, you know, whatever the music's about. 
that, you know, you're there for yourself, but when you hit that stage, you're there for everybody else. It's no longer about you anymore. So you have to get in the mindset of, you know, this might be someone, I think it was Bruce Springsteen that said that, this might be someone's first concert and it might be someone's last. And you have to think about that all the time when you're performing and you have to hold on to that for however long you have to perform. And so, you know, with thinking about that, you want to put on the best show that you can, you know, because it might be even your last performance. You never know. That's that's the hugest thing that that we tell, you know, ourselves. We have a powwow pretty much every show before we go on, you know, a group group thing, group hug. (laughs) And, you know, we do the whole Mighty Ducks thing and do what we can, do our best. I think it takes a special kind of person to go perform in front of other people, particularly, you know, as a career choice or as a living, um, you know, as a, as a way of life. So I'm curious, what drew you to music initially, whether it was as a child or early in life? And like, where did that commitment to music come from for you? It was uh, my grandfather. He, he played music. And, uh, and then my godfather, he also plays music. And my mom showed me a lot of, you know, Elvis and Michael Jackson and, you know, the greatest. And I think... I think just watching that, you know, knowing that you can make people feel a certain way, you know, performing and making music, you know, it's it's new, but it's, it's better for everybody, I guess. And so I think that just really struck a chord when I was really young. And as much as I want to quit sometimes, because it, it does get that way, uh, it, I don't, because I I know that. You know, we're a small band in Houston, and, you know, we we have big dreams. Everybody has big dreams, you know. But when you feel that way, it's, I don't know, it's it's hard to describe. You know, you you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. I think I learned that really young. One more thing that I wanted to ask, uh, regarding Thursday night show at the Nightingale Room, when fans go to the Nightingale Room, what can they expect at your performance? Oh man, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> uh, we got we got some some stuff that we kind of have up our sleeves right now. Uh, definitely all new music, all new music. Um, we're you know again we're getting ready to go in the studio in January, uh, late January. So we kind of want to show everybody that hey, we're not this Americana band anymore, you know, we've grown, uh, we're not playing Houston for a very long time. Uh, we're actually going to go be hitting, you know, hitting up other cities and, and, uh, showing them what we got and going on small tours and stuff. And then maybe we'll come back home and with a new record, you know, who knows? Um, uh, but this will be our last show for a while. And so with that, we're really, really super stoked. I think there's like bubble machines and all kinds of crazy stuff that we're going to to pull. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's free, so it can't beat that. That's perfect. Free free show, live show. Definitely recommend everyone go and check them out at the Nightingale Room. Again, we've got Nick Morales, lead singer from the band Second Lovers. And Nick, before we let you go, how can our listeners find you on social media and how can they find the band on social media? Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash Second Lovers, um, Twitter, I think it's Second Lovers, TX as in Texas, uh, Instagram, Second Lovers, um, that's pretty much it. 
I think that's all we have, yeah. <laughs> the website is uh, www.secondloversband.com. That last show is uh, going to be Nightingale uh, Room, December 17th, and then you're on tour. So anybody in Houston, these guys might come back and be the biggest thing in the world. So you want to jump on this train early and be one of those guys that says that they uh, knew them when. So uh, definitely go check them out. Uh, their new single is Hold On, which I personally love. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Nick. I mean, I really appreciate having you, and I uh, really love your sound. Thank you so much. Yeah, we enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, best of luck this week and on the tour next year. Thanks. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. We mentioned on the top of the show uh, the song Hold On by Second Lovers, and I thought it was great perspective to hear uh, from Nick and to hear kind of uh, how the band started, kind of their transition, and a little bit about their upcoming tour and what you can expect at one of their shows. What were your thoughts from uh, our interview with Nick? Well, uh, like the OJs and uh, have said before, give the people what they want. So we gave them what they wanted, which is some more music. And uh, kind of just in, in stumbling out, trying to find more artists, we stumbled across Second Lovers. And I was very, very uh, pleasantly surprised to come across them. And at the perfect time, too, because their last show uh, in Houston is December 17th. So um, they won't be back for a little while after that. So really, it feels uh, providential to sort of have all the pieces come together like that at the perfect time. Nick was an awesome guest. Uh, the band has an awesome sound. And uh, I'm really thrilled about them. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm already a fan. You know, I'm, I'm buying their tracks on iTunes and uh, and giving away to other people. You guys should do the same. Hold on is like my new life anthem. You know, for the next uh, few weeks at least. So definitely check them out. And uh, and thanks again to Nick for coming on. He was a a great interview. Absolutely. And if you're in the Houston area, make sure to go out to the Nightingale Room. Thursday, December 17th, doors open at 7, and as Nick mentioned, it is a free show, so really you have no excuses. Also, check them out on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, great band, uh, definitely enjoy listening to them, and uh, we had a lot of fun with Nick on the show. One excuse would be if they are not 21, because I did read that show is 21 and older, so I'm guessing there will be some adult beverages served there, children not permitted, so don't bring your kids, don't be a kid, uh, but you can go to the show if you're over 21, and we hope to see you out there. I'm going to try to get there myself, so uh, definitely looking forward to that. Closing time. I had a lot of fun this episode, Kevin. I mean, we talked Star Wars, we talked the concussion movie with Will Smith, and we were able to have an interview with a uh, up-and-coming band uh, here in Houston. And, uh, you know, last week you weren't exactly happy that we didn't receive uh, many reviews uh, on iTunes. But from my understanding, this week you're in a better mood. You want to tell the listeners why? I could not be more ecstatic. Uh, You guys don't realize it's not really much of an exaggeration. My whole week and happiness and personal well-being is predicated on the feedback that does or does not occur with this show. It's a very unhealthy way to be. It's just the way things are. It's not going to change. But uh, what that means is that this week I'm ecstatic. I'm I'm very uh, pleasantly surprised. So people did get back to us. We got reviews on iTunes. Uh, Muppet Jen, that is uh, is interesting. Muppet. I don't know if, if she's actually a Muppet um, or if she's a fan of the Muppets. It's hard to tell just from the handle there. But she says, not since the movie Space Jam have I been this interested in sports, which is saying a lot since Space Jam is like the best movie ever made after Kindergarten Cop. So she's starting to derail there a little bit, but we still appreciate the positive feedback. Um, she says that she's interested in sports uh, more because of us, which I think is, is, is touching. Also, nice to have female listeners. You know, we were afraid that we would skew a little male and so we are definitely uh we welcome any female listenership and uh and are glad you're aboard and then we have one from harry botanicals here it says pure filtered great tasting referring to us i believe uh week after week brewmasters austin Staten and kevin cook are constantly knocking out a tasty mix of sports politics social and current events talk on their weekly brew podcast smart and informed 
Thank you, Harry. These guys, along with their semi-regular panelists and guests, keep up a lively pace and jam a lot of expansive, entertaining talk into a very quick 60 minutes. I'm hoping they spend more time covering topics like movies and music, as I really enjoyed uh, a recent discussion connecting together the Houston rap scene and the film American Psycho. So for Harry and uh, for Britt L. and for some other people that have given us feedback, we definitely got more music and more movies in this uh, this episode. And then Miss Smarty Pants 1989, uh, awesome sauce which I'm flattered by. Uh, that's kind of a throwback term. Great show. Always interesting, entertaining, and full of information. The passionate hosts make it a fantastic listen every week. So you can hear, those are wonderful, nice things to say about people, and the people that they're saying them about are us. And so I feel uh, validated and terrific, and my life is not nearly as empty as it was a couple weeks ago when uh, nobody gave us any reviews. So thanks, guys, for listening. Um, that means that I'm on your side. If you're a listener to the show uh, and you commit a horrible crime I don't care. I'm already on your side. I will help you find legal defense. Uh, I will do everything in my power to make sure that you're set free. So remember, all you got to do to have me on your side forever is to go to our iTunes, click ratings and reviews, and leave us a nice little five-star rating and a little blurb telling us what you like and how we could improve. And uh, we'd love to hear that feedback from you. And uh, and I'd love to be in your corner forever. Definitely go and find us on iTunes. Give us a five-star review, as Kevin mentioned. But in addition to that, we also want you to follow us on social media. You can search for Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the show let us know what you think about the interviews that we have and uh, we definitely want to thank uh, Dave Morales and Nick Morales for joining us on this week's podcast and Kevin I think there was one more thing that you wanted to add did you realize that those guys have the same last name I didn't until we were actually interviewing them but they have no relation to me that's crazy yeah, not not as far as we know of. I mean, that could it could be the case, but I don't think it is. Uh, not to our knowledge, in any case. But um, if you look on our Facebook page, which we always encourage you to do, we post our new episodes there. We post a lot of stuff there. One thing we've posted this week um, is backstageol.com, Dave Morales's website for music and entertainment news, um, is hosting a contest. Uh, basically, you can apply to um, or enter to win free tickets to an advanced screening of Concussion. This is very cool. I used to do movie reviews for Backstage OL. Basically, you get to see the movie two weeks early um, or in this case I think a week early and uh, and it's really cool you, you set up you know with the movie reviewers it's a cool experience and I think there's 17 cities that that contest is running in so you can just go to our Facebook which links to um, that backstage OL contest so if you'd like to see concussion early that's something you can do uh, through our Facebook page and we encourage you to go there and to like it uh, we've had quite a few likes this week and we want more likes because like money there's just never enough likes for me to be satisfied but uh, but you're doing a good job this week so go to our Facebook page uh, facebook.com slash weekly brewcast and you can enter to win those concussion tickets well i had a blast on this week's episode i mean we definitely listened to our feedback that we've had we had we talked music we talked movies we talked a lot of social issues but we also managed to mention a little bit about sports and uh, the state of college football in texas right now but uh kevin i had a lot of fun this week and i thank you for uh joining me as my co-host and uh we'll be back at it again next week but in the meantime for my co-host kevin cook i'm austin staten and we'll see you next week brew responsibly You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.